Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome back to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. This is Tom Singer, and I'm your host, and today I am joined by Patrick Henry. Patrick is a performance keynote speaker. What is that? Well, he's going to tell us. And Patrick is another one of my friends. As I mentioned on the last episode, this whole idea for Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do grew out of a series of blog posts that I did every week for well over two years called Cool Things My Friends Do. And so as I started off in this podcast, I didn't just want to talk to my friends, but some of the first episodes, that's who we have here for you. So Patrick has been working for himself in this role as a speaker and entertainer for over 15 years. In fact, I would venture to say Patrick never had sort of a standard career job while he was pursuing the different things. He started off wanting uh, to be a songwriter, and then he followed in his father's footsteps and became a professional speaker. So Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you, Tom. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here. Why don't you tell the audience a little, about, a little bit about yourself and about your business? Well, I started off as a Nashville songwriter. Um, you said that I wanted to be a songwriter. No, I actually was a songwriter. I was making hundreds of dollars writing <laughs> songs for a music row publishing company. And it turns out you can't uh, support yourself on hundreds of dollars. And so I started to grow into the speaking business, even though I really had no idea what that was. I'd seen it from afar. As you mentioned, my father was a professional speaker, and I realized that as an entertainer, as a songwriter, as a singer, there is still a place within the meetings industry for someone who does what I do. And so I eventually grew content around my entertainment, and 15 years later, I'm making a living as a professional speaker. So if I remember correctly, after college, you actually went to your parents and said, thank you for paying for this you know, huge degree and all the money that you invested in me. I'm moving to Nashville. I'm moving to Nashville to be a star. And as I say in my speech, that's not the conversation they had prayed for, and it's certainly not the conversation they had paid for. But as a humorist, my father, he was a motivational humorist, and he told me, he said, you know what, if I haven't, hadn't found the speaking business, speaking profession, I probably would have ended up in comedy clubs trying to do what you're trying to do in music. And so he supported me in spirit. <laughs> so I had two weeks to get a job. Growing up with a parent who works for themselves, doesn't that kind of make it easier for you to kind of go down the path and lead your own way as an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, because a lot of people get into this business and they really don't know where that road leads. I mean, we, some people fall into the speaking profession. Um, they start speaking as, as a part of their job. Um, my father started speaking as a part of his job as a lobbyist and then as a, um, in the School of Pharmacy at Auburn University. I always knew that there was a good living to be made in the meetings industry as a speaker. And so, to answer your question, yeah, it made it easier because I knew how to take what I did as a songwriter and as a, as a humorist and push that into that direction. So what was the, the biggest thing that you found transitioning from being an aspiring songwriter to being a solopreneur, earning a living, you know, giving speeches and, and consulting? Well, at first... I well, let me back up. Let me just tell you kind of a defining moment for me. I was I used to play at a little place called the Bluebird Cafe, and for those of your listeners who have seen the show Nashville, 
Um, it, it's a it's a songwriters joint right in the middle of Nashville. And some of the biggest songwriters in the world have played there. Some of the biggest artists in the world have played there. But it's small. It seats 80 people. And so one of the um, unique things about the Bluebird is the songwriters would tell stories about their songs and how they came to be. Well, I like to say that I wrote really good songs when I was in Nashville. But if you want to get rich, you have to write really great songs. So I wrote good songs, but I told great stories about the songs and so I began to be, become known for my humor. I used to play funny songs, and that would get a huge response out of the audience. And so I began to subconsciously um, identify myself as a funny songwriter. Well, after a show one evening, a man approached me, and he said that he was with the Tennessee Farm Bureau, and they were having a meeting in Nashville the next month, and he wanted me to come perform. Well, being a national songwriter, I played for free, so we didn't even talk fee. And so I put together about 45 minutes of material, put together a nice show, and I performed at their convention. Well, afterwards, he came up and he said, I sure enjoyed your speech. And I'm thinking to myself, speech? What is he, what's he talking about? My dad's the speaker. I'm the songwriter. And then he handed me a check for $500. I said, I'm glad you enjoyed that speech. <laughs> so I was I, I realized at that point as a songwriter I could have just as big of an impact um, in the meetings industry as I could playing in some bar. And so like I said, over time where at be the beginning I was just simply the entertainment after dinner or at the beginning of a conference, I started growing content around customer experience. And so that's when I started to become or to get hired for the uh, main stage general sessions. And early on, you learned a lesson that, that I think is very important to all entrepreneurs, especially those of us who are solopreneurs, and that lesson is cash all checks. Yeah, absolutely. And don't tell the other Nashville songwriters that there's a living to be made in the meetings industry. Right, because you don't want them all to become speakers because then everybody's got a guitar on stage. Everybody's got a guitar. So you've been doing this now for 15 years. Uh, tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, I started speaking in high schools. You know, as a songwriter, um, oftentimes you find yourself spending more time waiting tables than you do writing songs. And so, of course, that waiting tables experience has become a huge part of, of my program, of my speech. But I got a call from a guy who was starting a company called Making College Count. And that was a, a seminar company, for lack of a better word, that would take a, a, a canned program into high schools. And it was a, a program about student success and college success. And they were looking for speakers. Well, I was, it was rec he was recommended, um, I was recommended to him, rather, um, as a potential speaker. And I thought, well, I'm comfortable on stage. I might as well give it a shot. And so I was able to start delivering these programs in high schools, and I literally delivered over a 1,000 of these and got to be pretty good, pretty fearless on stage, especially in front of high school students. I used to tell people there's two places that the best speakers come, tend to come from, uh, comedy clubs and high schools, because those are the only two audiences that want you to fail for entertainment value. In fact, as a speaker, the only time I ever bombed, and, and every speaker out there has bombed, when they tell you, oh, I've never, I've never had a bad, a bad speech, I think they're lying. They are. But, 
But the only time I really bombed, like nobody was paying attention and they were looking at their watches like, please make this person go away, was early, early in my career, long before I would really say I was a, a true speaker. I got asked to speak in front of a thousand high school students mm -hmm. and I was not prepared for what that audience was. Now, I have since spoken at high schools and colleges and I now know what to do. And I think the best thing that ever happened to me was that failure. Because that audience was the toughest audience I ever had, but it set me up later on. So I, I totally concur with what you're saying. You know, there's something to be said for, for starting where the hardest audiences are. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because high school students can be the hardest audience. They can also be the easiest audience. But I think, like you said, you kind of have to learn some – it's not so much tips and techniques as it is a mindset. High school kids aren't stupid. And I think the people who really screw up in front of high school audiences are the ones who talk down to them. You know, they, 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 they respond to authenticity. They respond to a good story. And um, it's as simple as that. Well, and that brings up an interesting point because that's not just for speakers. I think that for anybody who's an entrepreneur, you know, when you're authentic and you're just being true with your audience, I think they're going to respond better. Without a doubt. So continue with your journey. So you started off with the high school. Right. Started speaking in high schools. And um, and I did that for quite a long time uh, while I was still pursuing um, music. And so in 2003, I met my wife. And we later well, we got married in 2004. And so I moved to North Carolina. And that was a pivotal, a pivotal moment for, for my career because where when I was in Nashville, I was always split between the songwriting business and the songwriting industry and speaking. And it was when I moved to North Carolina that I put all of my energy into my speaking career. Well, and that's the advice that I give anybody, an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, someone who wants to be a speaker, any type of business they want to work in when they ask my advice, is I tell them it's an old Texas saying, I think, is that if you chase two pigs, you can't catch one. <laughs> or you can't ride two horses with one butt. Uh, <laughs> well, I like that one, too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the, 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 the irony of this whole thing is, you know, I, I spent so long in Nashville trying to become um, a, a big songwriter. And, I mean, I had some marginal success and you'll find that in Nashville, everybody brags about their marginal success, and the ones who have the true success don't talk about it. But the, um, but the real success I've had as a songwriter has been after I left Nashville and focused on the speaking business. Because as a result, um, I'm now performing on Sirius XM Radio, on the Family Comedy Channel, Blue Collar Radio, Laugh USA. You know, I'm played eight or nine times a day on that. So... I, I guess the lesson would be once you commit to your authenticity and once you start chasing only one pig, a lot of those good things will happen. So how did you switch over from the high school market to being, you know, a big star on the corporate stage and the association stage? I'm a huge, I'm a huge, huge star. Huge. Um, well, I started speak. you know, I went from speaking to high school students to start to speaking to educational conferences, teachers, principles. It was a natural um, progression. And once I really started focusing on, I, I had to look at myself and say, what do you really know about? What is, what is the lane that you're going to travel down as a speaker? 
And so I started drawing strong similarities between a great performance from a music artist like Garth Brooks or Taylor Swift. I started looking at those commonalities and started drawing comparisons between an extraordinary customer experience. A lot of them are the same, are the same fundamentals. And so once I started creating um, those comparisons, writing about them, I began to write both in blogs and I wrote a book. Then it became an easy transition to, to speak to business leaders, um, to speak to people in the customer service world. And so now that's how I, how I do it. Excellent. So what, what do you love most about working for yourself? I, honestly, I, I love – it's what I, what I love about it is also the downside to working for myself. Um, I love to be able to be distracted, but also have to fight distractions. I mean, I'm sitting here with a banjo by my desk right now, and every 20 or 30 minutes I'll pick it up and I'll practice a little bit because I'm learning the banjo. I love, um, I, I don't operate well under a um, structure. Uh, I operate well under deadline. If I've got something to do, I'm on it. But um, I like the freedom. I like being able to pick up my kids from, or take my kids to school, um, go to soccer practices. So I do know that that's something that's important to you is you have three children and a lovely wife, and I know that being an active participant in your family is really important. Do you think that you're better suited to do that because you call your own shots when you're at home? Of course. I mean, the thing is, when I'm home, I'm fully engaged. When I'm, when I'm working, I'm a gong. As you know, I mean, we, we hit the road and there's, we can't be engaged. But there's a, um, there was a funny thing happened at my daughter Meredith's soccer game the other night. Uh, we're a part of this, um, program through the YMCA. We call it Y Princesses and it's for fathers and daughters and they do campouts periodically. And so I'm booked on the Friday night of the big campout weekend. And some of the, one of the guys was saying, um, he was making a joke. He said, well, what's more important, your daughter or a speech? And my wife came in over my shoulder, and she said, a speech. <laughs> and I said, yeah, my daughter's never bought my wife a pair of earrings before. <laughs> well, that and, and my kids realize, like when I'm gone, uh, one of my daughter's older daughter's friends said, wow, your dad travels a lot. And she goes, that's the way he buys the toys. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of people's dads travel a lot. They just well, to have fun doing it. <laughs> Well, and that's what I found is when I had a corporate job, because I did have, you know, 15, 20 years working in corporate America for big companies and law firms and entrepreneurial ventures in, in marketing and sales roles, I did find that when I was in those jobs, I had to leave the house before 7 to be able to beat the traffic pattern out of my neighborhood up to where my office was. And oftentimes, I would have to work later. I'd have a project or I'd have a proposal due or maybe I had to entertain clients. I wouldn't get home till 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And so while people say, oh, well, you travel so much, well, I'm gone a couple of days a week and not every week. But when I'm home, like you said, I'm home. So the flexibility is what I love about this entrepreneurial life. And I think my family realizes that when I'm actually with them, I'm with them way more than if I was working a 50-hour week. Sure. Trust me, they're thrilled when I'm gone. <laughs> but, um, you know, also I get to live wherever I want to live. Doing the type of work I do, um, you know, when I left Nashville, it's because uh, when my wife and I got married, we decided it would be best if I lived in North Carolina, or we lived in North Carolina, because I've got a stepson. And so um, it was it was not um, logistically an issue because I can fly out of any airport. 
So what advice do you have for people who, who want to have their own business, not necessarily as, a, as an entertainer or as a speaker, but somebody who says, you know what, I'm going through the grind every single day. You know, my boss is beating me down. The commute is killing me. You know, I have this idea. What advice do you have to somebody who, who has that calling but doesn't know what to do? Find other people who are doing what you want to do and align yourself with them. Amen. I agree fully, 100%. That's the best advice. Keep going. In the National Speakers Association, which obviously you're a member of as well, um, the biggest benefit that any association, but for me, my tribe is the National Speakers Association, it's the relational capital. It's the other speakers who we, we get together, we share ideas, we share best practices, we share clients and People say, well, are they the competition? No. Um, not the good ones. <laughs> because we, um, we support one another. And I would recommend anybody who's going into business for themselves to seek out other entrepreneurs in your area and find ways to provide value for them. They'll share with you. Join your, your trade association. That's a great place to to meet other people who um, who do what you do and just make it a tribe. Well, you and I both do a lot of work for trade associations and, you know, everything from, you know, I've spoken for the national uh, truck stop operators. I've spoken for people who make concrete blocks. I speak for legal associations. And I tell everybody the same advice that you give. I don't care what you do for a living. Get around the successful people in your industry because, you know, it's not that they're necessarily going to refer you business. You're not going to get direct leads from them, although, as you and I know, that happens all the time. But really, it's you learn the best practices. I mean, you can make it up as you go along in any industry, or you can be friends with the people who've already been down the path, and they'll show you, hey, don't go, don't go over there because that's a, that's a disaster. Try it this way. And, you know, with everything, you take free advice for what it's worth. But if you start seeing patterns because you have not just one friend in the industry but 30 friends in your industry, all of a sudden you start to see patterns of what's working for other people. And you're able to take pieces that, that you like and that work for you and incorporate them into your business. You're just going to be so much more successful. But a lot of people are like, oh, I, I don't want to get involved with my association. I, I only go where potential clients are. Well, you know, that's great, but you're not going to learn from your potential clients. Right. And if all you do is show up to sell everybody, you're kind of an idiot. No, w without a doubt. And you brought up two. You brought up a couple of points that I want to mention. Um, one, you said seek out the successful people. Yeah, don't don't hang around the bottom feeders. And those are usually the first people to to reach out to you. Um, Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome back to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. This is Tom Singer, and I'm your host, and today I am joined by Patrick Henry. Patrick is a performance keynote speaker. What is that? Well, he's going to tell us. And Patrick is another one of my friends. As I mentioned on the last episode, this whole idea for Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do grew out of a series of blog posts that I did every week for well over two years called Cool Things My Friends Do. And so as I started off in this podcast, I didn't just want to talk to my friends, but some of the first episodes, that's who we have here for you. 
So Patrick has been working for himself in this role as a speaker and entertainer for over 15 years. In fact, I would venture to say Patrick never had sort of a standard career job while he was pursuing the different things. He started off wanting uh, to be a songwriter, and then he followed in his father's footsteps and became a professional speaker. So, Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you, Tom. <laughs> I'm glad to have you here. Why don't you tell the audience a little, about, a little bit about yourself and about your business? Well, I started off as a Nashville songwriter. Um, you said that I wanted to be a songwriter. No, I actually was a songwriter. I was making hundreds of dollars writing <laughs> songs for a music row publishing company, and it turns out you can't uh, support yourself on hundreds of dollars. And so I started to grow into the speaking business, even though I really had no idea what that was. I'd seen it from afar. As you mentioned, my father was a professional speaker, and I realized that as an entertainer, as a songwriter, as a singer, there is still a place within the meetings industry for someone who does what I do. And so I eventually grew content around my entertainment, and 15 years later, I'm making a living as a professional speaker. So if I remember correctly, after college, you actually went to your parents and said, thank you for paying for this you know, huge degree and all the money that you invested in me. I'm moving to Nashville. I'm moving to Nashville to be a star. And as I say in my speech, that's not the conversation they had prayed for, and it's certainly not the conversation they had paid for. But as a humorist, my father, he was a motivational humorist, and he told me, he said, you know what, if I haven't, hadn't found the speaking business, speaking profession, I probably would have ended up in comedy clubs trying to do what you're trying to do in music. And so he supported me in spirit. <laughs> so I had two weeks to get a job. Growing up with a parent who works for themselves, doesn't that kind of make it easier for you to kind of go down the path and lead your own way as an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, because a lot of people get into this business and they really don't know where that road leads. I mean, we, some people fall into the speaking profession. Um, they start speaking as, as a part of their job. Um, my father started speaking as a part of his job as a lobbyist and then as a, um, in the School of Pharmacy at Auburn University. I always knew that there was a good living to be made in the meetings industry as a speaker. And so, to answer your question, yeah, it made it easier because I knew how to take what I did as a songwriter and as a, as a humorist and push that into that direction. So what was the, the biggest thing that you found transitioning from being an aspiring songwriter to being a solopreneur, earning a living, you know, giving speeches and, and consulting? Well, at first... I well, let me back up. Let me just tell you kind of a defining moment for me. I was I used to play at a little place called the Bluebird Cafe, and for those of your listeners who have seen the show Nashville, um, it, it's a it's a songwriters joint right in the middle of Nashville, and some of the biggest songwriters in the world have played there. Some of the biggest artists in the world have played there, but it's small. It seats eighty people, and so one of the um, unique things about the Bluebird is the songwriters would tell stories about their songs and how they came to be. Well, I like to say that I wrote really good songs when I was in Nashville, but if you want to get rich, you have to write really great songs. So I wrote good songs, but I told great stories about the songs. And so I began to be, become known for my humor. I used to play funny songs, and that would get a huge response out of the audience. And so I began to subconsciously... Um, identify myself as a funny songwriter. Well, after a show one evening, a man approached me and he said that he was with the Tennessee Farm Bureau and they were having a meeting in Nashville the next month. 
and he wanted me to come perform. Well, being a national songwriter, I played for free, so we didn't even talk fee. And so I put together about 45 minutes of material, put together a nice show, and I performed at their convention. Well, afterwards, he came up and he said, I sure enjoyed your speech. And I'm thinking to myself, speech? What is he, what's he talking about? My dad's the speaker. I'm the songwriter. And then he handed me a check for $500. I said, I'm glad you enjoyed that speech. <laughs> so I was, I, I realized at that point, as a songwriter, I could have just as big of an impact um, in the meetings industry as I could playing in some bar. And so, like I said, over time, where at the beginning, I was just simply the entertainment after dinner or at the beginning of a conference, I started growing content around customer experience. And so that's when I started to become or to get hired for the uh, main stage general sessions. And early on, you learned a lesson that, that I think is very important to all entrepreneurs, especially those of us who are solopreneurs. And that lesson is cash all checks. Yeah, absolutely. And don't tell the other Nashville songwriters that there's a living to be made in the meetings industry. Right, because you don't want them all to become speakers because then everybody's got a guitar on stage. Everybody's got a guitar. So you've been doing this now for 15 years. Uh, tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, I started speaking in high schools. You know, as a songwriter, um, oftentimes you find yourself spending more time waiting tables than you do writing songs. And so, of course, that waiting tables experience has become a huge part of, of my program, of my speech. But I got a call from a guy who was starting a company called Making College Count. And that was a, a seminar company, for lack of a better word, that would take a, a, a canned program into high schools. And it was a, a program about student success and college success. And they were looking for speakers. Well, I was, it was rec he was recommended, um, I was recommended to him rather, um, as a potential speaker. And I thought, well, I'm comfortable on stage. I might as well give it a shot. And so I was able to start delivering these programs in high schools, and I literally delivered over a thousand of these and got to be pretty good, pretty fearless on stage, especially in front of high school students. I used to tell people there's two places that the best speakers come, tend to come from, uh, comedy clubs and high schools, because those are the only two audiences that want you to fail for entertainment value. In fact, as a speaker, the only time I ever bombed, and, and every speaker out there has bombed, when they tell you, oh, I've never, I've never had a bad, a bad speech, I think they're lying. They are. But, but the only time I really bombed, like nobody was paying attention and they were looking at their watches like, please make this person go away, was early, early in my career, long before I would really say I was a, a true speaker, I got asked to speak in front of a thousand high school students. Mm -hmm. And I was not prepared for what that audience was. Now, I have since spoken at high schools and colleges, and I now know what to do. And I think the best thing that ever happened to me was that failure, because that audience was the toughest audience I ever had, but it set me up later on. So I, I totally concur with what you're saying. You know, there's something to be said for, for starting where the hardest audiences are. Well, yeah, it, it's... It's interesting because high school students can be the hardest audience. They can also be the easiest audience. But I think, like you said, you kind of have to learn some – it's not so much tips and techniques as it is a mindset. High school kids aren't stupid. 
And I think the people who really screw up in front of high school audiences are the ones who talk down to them. You know, they, 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 they respond to authenticity. They respond to a good story. And um, it's as simple as that. Well, and that brings up an interesting point because that's not just for speakers. I think that for anybody who's an entrepreneur, you know, when you're authentic and you're just being true with your audience, I think they're going to respond better. Without a doubt. So continue with your journey. So you started off with the high school. Right. Started speaking in high schools. And um, and I did that for quite a long time uh, while I was still pursuing um, music. And so in 2003, I met my wife. And we later well, we got married in 2004. And so I moved to North Carolina. And that was a pivotal, a pivotal moment for, for my career because... Where when I was in Nashville, I was always split between the songwriting business and the songwriting industry and speaking. And it was when I moved to North Carolina that I put all of my energy into my speaking career. Well, and that's the advice that I give anybody, an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, someone who wants to be a speaker, any type of business they want to work in when they ask my advice is I tell them it's an old Texas saying, I think, is that if you chase two pigs, you can't catch one. <laughs> or you can't ride two horses with one butt. Uh, <laughs> well, I like that one, too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the, the, the irony of this whole thing is, you know, I, I spent so long in Nashville trying to become um, a, a big songwriter. And, I mean, I had some marginal success and you'll find that in Nashville, everybody brags about their marginal success, and the ones who have the true success don't talk about it. But the, um, but the real success I've had as a songwriter has been after I left Nashville and focused on the speaking business. Because as a result, um, I'm now performing on Sirius XM Radio on the Family Comedy Channel, Blue Collar Radio, Laugh USA. You know, I'm played eight or nine times a day on that. So... I, I guess the lesson would be once you commit to your authenticity and once you start chasing only one pig, a lot of those good things will happen. So how did you switch over from the high school market to being you know, a big star on the corporate stage and the association stage? I'm a huge, I'm a huge, huge star. Huge. Um, well, I started speaking, you know, I went from speaking to high school students to start to speaking to educational conferences, teachers, principals. It was a natural uh, progression. And once I really started focusing on, I, I had to look at myself and say, what do you really know about? What is, what is the lane that you're going to travel down as a speaker? And so I started drawing strong similarities between a great performance from a music artist like Garth Brooks or Taylor Swift. I started looking at those commonalities and started drawing comparisons between an extraordinary customer experience. A lot of them are the same, are the same fundamentals. And so once I started creating um, those comparisons, writing about them, I began to write both in blogs and I wrote a book. Then it became an easy transition to, to speak to business leaders, um, to speak to people in the customer service world. And so now that's how I, how I do it. Excellent. So what, what do you love most about working for yourself? I, honestly, I, I love – it's what I, what I love about it is also the downside to working for myself. Um, I love to be able to be distracted 
but also have to fight distractions. I mean, I'm sitting here with a banjo by my desk right now, and every 20 or 30 minutes I'll pick it up and I'll practice a little bit because I'm learning the banjo. I love, um, I, I don't operate well under a um, structure. Uh, I operate well under deadline. If I've got something to do, I'm on it. But um, I like the freedom. I like being able to pick up my kids from, or take my kids to school, um, go to soccer practices. So I do know that that's something that's important to you is you have three children and a lovely wife, and I know that being an active participant in your family is really important. Do you think that you're better suited to do that because you call your own shots when you're at home? Of course. I mean, the thing is, when I'm home, I'm fully engaged. When I'm, when I'm working, I'm a gong. As you know, I mean, we, we hit the road and there's, we can't be engaged. But there's a, um, there was a funny thing happened at my daughter Meredith's soccer game the other night. Uh, we're a part of this um, program through the YMCA. We call it Y Princesses, and it's for fathers and daughters, and they do campouts periodically. And so I'm booked on the Friday night of the big campout weekend. And some of the, one of the guys was saying, um, he was making a joke. He said, well, what's more important, your daughter or a speech? And my wife came in over my shoulder, and she said, a speech. <laughs> I said, yeah, my daughter's never bought my wife a pair of earrings before. <laughs> well, that and, and my kids realize, like when I'm gone, uh, one of my daughter's older daughter's friends said, wow, your dad travels a lot. And she goes, that's the way he buys the toys. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of people's dads travel a lot. They just well, to have fun doing it. <laughs> Well, and that's what I found is when I had a corporate job, because I did have, you know, 15, 20 years working in corporate America for big companies and law firms and entrepreneurial ventures in, in marketing and sales roles, I did find that when I was in those jobs, I had to leave the house before 7 to be able to beat the traffic pattern out of my neighborhood up to where my office was. And oftentimes, I would have to work later. I'd have a project or I'd have a proposal due or maybe I had to entertain clients. I wouldn't get home till 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And so while people say, oh, well, you travel so much, well, I'm gone a couple of days a week and not every week. But when I'm home, like you said, I'm home. So the flexibility is what I love about this entrepreneurial life. And I think my family realizes that when I'm actually with them, I'm with them way more than if I was working a 50-hour week. Sure. Trust me, they're thrilled when I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, also I get to live wherever I want to live. Doing the type of work I do, um, you know, when I left Nashville, it's because uh, when my wife and I got married, we decided it would be best if I lived in North Carolina, or we lived in North Carolina, because I've got a stepson. And so um, it was it was not um, logistically an issue because I can fly out of any airport. So what advice do you have for people who, who want to have their own business, not necessarily as, a, as an entertainer or as a speaker, but somebody who says, you know what, I'm going through the grind every single day. You know, my boss is beating me down. The commute is killing me. You know, I have this idea. What advice do you have to somebody who, who has that calling but doesn't know what to do? Find other people who are doing what you want to do and align yourself with them. Amen. I agree fully, 100%. That's the best advice. Keep going. In the National Speakers Association, which obviously you're a member of as well, um, the biggest benefit that any association, but for me, my tribe is the National Speakers Association, it's the relational capital. It's the other speakers who we, we get together, we share ideas, we share best practices, we share clients and People say, well, are they the competition? No. Um, not the good ones. <laughs> because we 
um, we support one another. And I would recommend anybody who's going into business for themselves to seek out other entrepreneurs in your area and find ways to provide value for them. They'll share with you. Join your, your trade association. That's a great place to, to meet other people who, um, who do what you do and just make it a tribe. Well, you and I both do a lot of work for trade associations and, you know, everything from, you know, I've spoken for the national uh, truck stop operators. I've spoken for people who make concrete blocks. I speak for legal associations. And I tell everybody the same advice that you give. I don't care what you do for a living. Get around the successful people in your industry because, you know, it's not that they're necessarily going to refer you business. You're not going to get direct leads from them, although, as you and I know, that happens all the time. But really, it's you learn the best practices. I mean, you can make it up as you go along in any industry, or you can be friends with the people who've already been down the path, and they'll show you, hey, don't go, don't go over there because that's a that's a disaster. Try it this way. And you know, with everything, you take free advice for what it's worth. But if you start seeing patterns because you have not just one friend in the industry, but thirty friends in your industry, all of a sudden you start to see patterns of what's working for other people, and you're able to take pieces that that you like and that work for you and incorporate them into your business. You're just going to be so much more successful. But a lot of people are like, oh, I, I don't want to get involved with my association. I, I only go where potential clients are. Well, you know, that's great, but you're not going to learn from your potential clients. Right. And if all you do is show up to sell everybody, you're kind of an idiot. No, w- w- without a doubt. And you brought up two, you brought up a couple of points that I want to mention. Um, one, you said seek out the successful people. Yeah, don't, don't hang around the bottom feeders. And those are usually the first people to, to reach out to you, um, as, as we found out. Um, if they don't feel ethical, they're probably not. Um, but also, and not to get all motivational speakery on you, uh, Zig Ziglar said if you want everything, you can get everything you want out of life if you help another, enough people get what they want. Um, I've helped as many new speakers as I can, but I'll tell you, um, it's a bit of a turnoff when someone says, can I pick your brain? Uh, When I go go towards, you know, when I reach out to potential mentors or mentors, I'm always looking for ways that I can help their business. You know, even if it's sending a bottle of locally made hot sauce, you know, just – Look for ways to be valuable to them, and people will break their back trying to help you out. I agree, and I don't think you have to necessarily pick someone's brain. If you if you develop a real give and take sort of mutual friendship, you know, you sit at the bar and you buy them a drink and you just tell stories. I mean, that's how you and I met, but sure. that's how many people who I know have have met in a lot of industries. Is they just start asking people about their life, about their family, about their business, and you start picking up little tidbits. I, so often people think when they meet somebody, it's like they have to they have to be a sieve and grab all the information out of them in one sitting. And the reality is, try to build a long term and mutually beneficial relationship, and that means mutually beneficial. You got to find ways to help them, like you said, and eventually it's going to work out. And remember, not everybody's you're not going to have that love connection with everybody. Sure, sure. And you know, somebody's time is. It, I mean, it's just as precious as money. So, um, you know, if you have a question, ask me. I mean, that, my best way to help a new speaker is someone who comes to me with a specific question. You know, how do I do blank? And it's easy. But can I? Can we get together for lunch and 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 talk? Well, 
Well, you came by this sort of idea of helping people naturally, right? I mean, this was something your father was known for 30 years ago in the industry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dad would, um, my father, well, let me back up. I, used, I grew up in a house where my father's office was, was attached to it, and I grew up with new speakers pouring through the doors, rotating through. My dad would spend, you know, hours with them, and one thing that I took away from that is he never charged them. People now will say, yeah, I'll give you 30 minutes of my time, and I'm going to start charging you by the hour afterwards. Now, I don't say that's wrong. I don't say it's unethical. It's not. But that's just not the way I operate. If I, if I, if we get together, um, you know, I'm going to give you everything I can. Now, sometimes, obviously, time won't allow it, but um, I don't charge people for their time. That, that's, that's silly. So what are some of the other things that you see entrepreneurs do out there? One of, the, one of the questions I love to ask on this podcast is, what's something cool that someone else is doing? Because we can talk about our own businesses forever, and, and that's sort of a drawback of, of being a solopreneur or an entrepreneur is oftentimes, you know, at a cocktail party, you know, hey, what do you do? And the person, will, it's like flicking a switch, and they go, hi, my name's Tom Singer. I've written 10 books. I speak all over the country. Blah, blah, blah. Just verbal vomit about themselves all over the other people. <laughs> So one of the things I like to ask is, what's something you see another entrepreneur doing that doesn't impact your business, that you just think, wow, that guy's cool? Well, i tell you, what you do um, with your podcast, um, and I, I just went to a conference where I met a guy named J.B. Glossinger, who also does a podcast, and he, he did a 15-minute daily podcast, and he has about over three, he has over 3,000 subscribers, and, and, and they pay him for it, and I've you know, he tells me because I'm done by I'm done with work by 9:30 every every morning, and he said the reason that I can do that is because I'm re- I'm a machine about creating my content and getting it out, and and I respect that. I mean, I respect you know guys like you who you know create a continual flow of content because as as speakers, oftentimes we have a small chunk of content that we deliver over and over and over again. And so, you know, that's something that I could see myself hopefully um, getting into one day is, it might not be a podcast, it may be a song of the week, who knows, but that's something that I really admire. I like that. I think a song of the week would be kind of a cool thing that you could have on iTunes that, you know, people would be excited, especially because your stuff is, it's both funny, but it often has a message, so that's cool. No, it it would certainly create um, the need to write every week. (laughs) Well, this brings up something interesting, because one of the reasons I like to pay attention to the cool things other people are doing is it often inspires me, and it doesn't mean I go out and copy what they're doing exactly. It means that I look at something someone's doing and saying, wow, that's really neat, and then I twist it and say, how can I make that work for my own business, rather than just, a lot of times people try to copy what other people are doing and drop it right in. And with this show, you know, I was inspired by several other podcasters, but I didn't want mine to necessarily be exactly like theirs, so I'm still trying to find my own voice. I'm I'm interviewing my friends, we're having these types of conversations, and I'm trying to look for where will this go. But my whole life I've been inspired by watching people start businesses and, and work for themselves and you know, I use the word cool because I think it's cool. And so I think you're, you just gave us a great example. Hey, I like what you're doing or what JB is doing, and I could make it this way. And that's the whole purpose of why I asked that question. Got some interesting people in our business. 
Yes, absolutely. So, so then how do you give back? I know you're very open with your time to people who want to learn about your business and, and stuff like that. But, but I always like this question because I like to hang around with people who find ways to give back. What, what is it that you do? Well, I, I started, I kind of grew into it organically. I don't know where this quote came from, but the short version is don't strive to be a star. Strive to be a star in your community. And so I speak a lot in Burlington, North Carolina for free. Um, and I'm not opposed to taking money, but I don't turn, um, I don't turn people down if it's a cause I believe in. Um, whether little, um, what's it, Pink Ribbons of Hope, um, a lot of the, I, I just did a, a male beauty contest where I spoke and performed dressed as a woman. You know, that was for Alzheimer's research. And so the way I give of my time is, is to participate in these events. Um, help raise money in my community. And you use your talent as a, as a songwriter and performer to be able to help them have a great show. Well, of course, yeah. And I, I think that's fabulous. I think that's what we all have to do is find our talents and figure out how do we give those talents and the things we're passionate about, passionate about to help other people. Sure. So, Patrick, if somebody listened to this podcast and they thought, I want to know more about this funny speaker, entertainer, songwriter guy, Patrick Henry, how do they find you? Because obviously if you Google Patrick Henry... You're going to find Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death. That revolutionary stole my, stole my SEO. But, um, <laughs> yeah, go to PatrickHenrySpeaker.com. Okay, not PatrickHenryFoundingFather.com. No, PatrickHenrySpeaker.com, and you'll find everything you, you, you'll ever want to know about me. So they can find links to your songs, to your book, to how to, to, how to, how, how to hire you to speak. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Patrick, thank you for being here on one of my early, early episodes of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. It's a lot of fun to, to get to spend this time with my friends, and it's fun because I get to learn more things about them as I share you with the people who are, who are tuning into this podcast. For those of you who've tuned in, thank you for listening to another episode, and I will be back in a couple days with yet one more episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.